the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. We get so caught up in our busy-to-do world that it's easy to lose sight of what is important in life and to no longer recognize who we are or what we want. Today's guest, Ann Devereaux Mills, went from running a busy New York City ad agency to the search for what was missing while she was raising kids and running companies. She realized that many of her personal relationships were framed by transactional favors rather than genuine connection. Stripped of everything that had been her identity, she set out to rediscover herself and recreate her life. Anne is the founder of Parlay House and is a documentary film executive. She's the author of the new book, The Parlay Effect, How Female Connection Can Change the World. Welcome, Anne. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So, Anne, your story sounds so much like the story of my life. I started a whole new life in middle age, but my reinvention was not due to an illness, but rather the loss of my mother and my sister, they both passed away, and divorce. And I found myself in middle age trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted. And it had been a very long time since I had asked myself what I wanted. And from that experience, from all of that loss and pain, I created this brand. I founded two companies. I started publishing a digital magazine. So everything that I'm doing is very similar to what you experienced. So tell us what happened that changed the direction of your life. Absolutely. And and you know, this is this conversation is epitomizes what I found when I started sharing my truth. You know, I had been slugging it out in the pretty male challenging world of advertising for my career and having been divorced after a pretty difficult uh, traumatic marriage while diagnosed with cancer for the first time, I I was sort of just heads down, toughing it out, uh, waking up at 4.45 in the morning in New Jersey and shoveling my driveway myself if I needed to, Mm -hmm. and driving into the city and getting to the gym and getting to the office at 7.30, running a company, coming home, and being a mom. And, you know, that was an incredibly intense life, which was all about doing. And uh, as my two daughters uh, sort of grew up and the oldest went off to college, I finally had more time to start thinking about other things that I cared about. And I was being interviewed uh, by someone for my last CEO job, a reporter who had just come home from Uganda, where she was doing research on AIDS and malaria and the effectiveness of the donation of of medicines. And she was telling me that she saw this town where there was just an incredible cycle of poverty and wanted to help break that cycle with some other founders. And I felt, wow, I've been so busy doing things that are achievement oriented and I want to do something that is good oriented. So I joined her and was part of the team that started this amazing school in Uganda. And then the recession rolled in harder and harder to raise money uh, for nonprofits and harder and harder to run a business, a creative business that was being very commoditized. But I was I was going to succeed. And I went to Uganda to check in on the school 
and got a call from my oncologist who had been following me since my first round of cancer and were now, uh, I don't know, six or seven years after the last round. And he said, ah, you know, that last biopsy we did, well, it didn't come back so positively. In fact, your cancer has accelerated and I need you to come home and we need to do some aggressive surgery. And I just thought, sighed. You know, these are the painful phone calls you think. You know, I, I literally was thinking, I have got to stay alive because I am the only parent for these children. I don't have a choice. And then you get news like this where you don't have control and you have to sort of figure out what to do because that is pain that's fear and pain that's sadness and pain that's failure and pain that's so many things. But I just sort of did as I'd always done, sucked it up and went home and walked in to tell my boss, sorry, got to take a couple weeks off, but I will be back to run this company. And he said, oh, I'm going to have someone else run the company. And in an instant, I lost my health, my job. My last child was about to go to college. And all of that to me meant I lost my identity. I could no longer walk into a room and say, hi, I'm Anne, I'm the CEO, or hi, I'm Anne, I'm the mother of these two amazing daughters, or hi, I'm Anne, yep, we're at the gym together, you know, tough as nails, like I wasn't any of those things. So at 50 years old, what was I? And that's where my story and your story sound very, very similar. They do, because as you're saying those words, those are the exact words I used. It it was within six months, my mother and sister died, and I had already lost mm. my father and brother. My 23-year marriage ended. My oldest son left for college. So as you just described, yeah. I lost my identity. I was no longer a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sister. And, and that was, and, and I was 43 years old at the time. So yeah. that's when I think some of the most remarkable things can come when you have those moments and you then need to figure out for yourself, what will I do next? And the beauty, the beautiful part about your story is that you didn't allow it to keep you stuck. You didn't become a victim. You chose to, to build something from all of that. Yeah, but the, the most important piece for me, because I am a natural builder and entrepreneur, was the time after what I was and before what I would be to sit and feel. You know, I had been so busy surviving and thriving and succeeding and doing that a lot of the feelings and the self-awareness and the understanding of unmet needs had been pushed down deep. And I really hadn't taken the time to think about what do I want? What am I missing? What do I need? And that time was crucial. So for those of us who are sort of high charging, high achieving, that's a very scary thing to not just jump in and run the next company or do the next thing, but to sort of look inward. And, you know, for, for those of us who are doing multiple things, including raising kids or being in a relationship or, you know, working, and we tend to put ourselves at the bottom of the hierarchy of care. We care for everybody else's needs. And at the end of most days, there's no room left for us. And so I wasn't indulging in self-pity, but I was definitely taking time to think about what was and wasn't working for me. And one of the things that I found was after a very successful career where I'd worked with thousands of people, when I got sick and was no longer in a position of power, no one was there for me. It, all those people who had said, you know, let's grab a drink after work or how are your kids doing, really didn't care. If I couldn't do anything for them, that was not a real relationship. And that was a total eye-opener because I had been one of three daughters and I'd had two daughters and I'd gone to an all-women's college and really had felt a depth of relationship that I mistakenly thought I was also having in my career life. And so really my turn to the next chapter of my life was that revelation that I was missing. I wanted four quarters instead of a hundred pennies. I wanted a few deep and meaningful people that were there for me in, in great times and bad times, but mostly in, in intimate times to talk about the things that were real. And I think that that's such an important thing to understand, especially today when we have Facebook and people are referred to as friends and to really understand the difference between someone who may be an acquaintance, someone who may be in it just for him or herself, 
or the person that really is important to you, where there is a deep bond of affection and trust and, and loyalty. And and I think a lot of us are, are lacking that today. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think we've we've come to a very superficial and transactional world that's not not always real you know when you look at social media and everyone else's life looks so fabulous it's easy to think oh i'm the one who's who's failing um but when you have the the few people to whom you're able to say hey i'm really struggling here or um so, something you said or did really hit home and was meaningful. I mean, those are transformative conversations. It's as much as a, you know, a super long hug or really looking at and seeing someone in what, wherever they are in their lives. We don't do that in, in the business world. We can't, you know, as, as a, as a multiple time CEO, I didn't have many peers that I could say, oh my God, I don't know what to do here. Or if we lose the account, this is going to be a downsizing and how can I face that? Or, you know, I, I didn't I didn't have anybody I could have those conversations with. And so now having friends where I can say, I don't know what to do next, feels wonderful. Because they, 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 they'll say, I don't either. And you won't feel so alone in whatever it is that that you're you're facing. So Anne, explain to us the parlay effect. How does this help us? Well, I'll tell you first what parlay house is because I think that that will um will provide more clarity. When I was trying to figure out what I was missing and what I wanted, um I started to experiment. I moved I I picked up my belongings, you know, at that time I didn't have much left for me in New York. I was without a job. I had been living in the suburbs of New Jersey where um, because I was working all the time and because I sort of am who I am, I didn't have a lot of friends. I had a couple of delicious friends who are still my friends today, but not not deep into the community. And I had been dating a man who was living in California. And so when the going got tough and he came with me to be through the surgery, he sort of said, you know, are you going to get back on this horse that is clearly killing you? Or are you going to stop and think and figure something else out? I would love to have you live with me in California. And so I just jumped and I dropped my younger daughter off at Tulane and I kept heading west and we bought a house together in San Francisco and it's absolutely lovely. And I was standing on the roof looking out at the bay thinking, oh, I want to have a girlfriend over to have a glass of wine. And I realized I didn't have a girlfriend. I moved to a city where I didn't know anybody. And I had to figure out how to build that community we've been talking about. So I experimented by asking friends who knew people in San Francisco, whether those friends might be interested in coming over and meeting a group of strangers and starting to have a conversation. And having been a fellow of the Aspen Institute, where 20 of us high achievers were sort of brought together, despite all of our differences, political and uh, work and personal differences, we sort of bonded because we shared common content. I started putting together content that sort of grounded the gathering of strangers. And it started as 12 people, and we all had a really good time talking about something. And we said, should we do this again next month? And everybody agreed. And everybody thought, oh, I might have a friend who'd want to be part of it. And 12 became 20, became 50, became 1,000. And so every month I host events where I welcome strangers into my home. And we talk about things that there aren't other safe spaces to talk about. We did this before Me Too was a thing. And Time's Up was a thing. And we were talking about those issues, those personal experiences that there was no other place to have vulnerable, safe conversations that triggered other people saying, oh, my God, I had the same thing. And so that was incredibly eye-opening to me in the same way that you and I had very similar paths. If I hadn't been willing to talk about it, I would never have known and I would have never felt like I had a break from my isolation and loneliness. So what I started seeing as we've grown, we're now a global organization with more than 5,000 participants. And I've found that I hear through the grapevine of cascades of events that happen. One woman meets another woman and pulls her into the circle, and then another woman is connected. And all sorts of things are happening, not only related to connection, but related to a cascade of good and inclusion and empathy and seeing each other that results in everything from new jobs and new friendships to new interests or activism or comfort or inclusion. And I uh, started writing a book about this phenomenon 
of um, of what happened. And I, you know, we are all our own worst enemies, right? So I'm scrutinizing my my book, and I'm thinking this is all fabulous, but it's very subjective. Where's some ob- objectivity? Where's some science? What if people question, you know? how how valid this is. And you know, it's so funny we do that to ourselves. So I reached out to a, a professor at uh, at Berkeley. She's a, a tenured professor of social psychology. Her name is Dr. Serena Chen. And I asked her to work with me to put a quantitative study together of not my members, but of average people to see what people could tell us about cascades of good and how it affected them and changed their behavior. Because I don't know if you feel the way that I do, but right now in this world where everything feels so extreme, you know, whether it's the the gaps between our political parties and our president, whether it's the gaps between rich and poor, it's people who are of color that are not included in, in conversations, Every everything just seems sort of blown apart. And I wanted to see what hope we have to begin to change things and pull everyone back together. So we did this research where we had three different groups of respondents. We had respondents who we asked to tell about times that they had done something kind, inclusive, generous, thoughtful for someone else and what effect that might have had. Those were the givers. And then we had a second group of people who we called the receivers, who were the beneficiaries of something um, small but meaningful and thoughtful. And then we had a third bucket. We thought, oh, what if people can't tell us a story? This is kind of abstract and complex. You know, can they have they heard of anything like this? Have they witnessed anything like this? And we called them the witnesses. And as you might expect, the givers were the types of people who tend to already be seeing and empathizing and doing good. And they told us lovely stories. And as you might expect, the receivers not only felt incredibly seen and moved by someone doing something small and thoughtful that made them feel more valued and included and cared for, but they reciprocated that action. So if it was a a mother on welfare who had had a baby and was barely getting by and another mother saw her and passed on the baby clothes that her child had grown out of, that recipient went on to pass her things on to another person. So it's very much what you've heard about in sort of pay it forward, but on a very meaningful, thoughtful level. And I thought, okay, well, maybe we're just seeing another version of pay it forward until we looked at the responses of the witnesses. And the witnesses would tell us stories like they were in their car outside of 7-Eleven and there were homeless people across the street. And the person that they watched come out of the 7-Eleven not only had their Slurpee, but they bought a sandwich, gave it to the homeless person who walked across the street and shared it. So one sandwich fed a couple of people. And the witness said, huh, I could do that. That's pretty cool. And walked in and bought another sandwich for another group of people. So one action not only cascaded in a linear way, like pay it forward, but it actually cascaded in a multiplier effect. So that one small action fed four or more people, and who knows who else saw that. And that, to me, was an example of the parlay effect, where it's an outward cascade when we start behaving in a way that truly includes and sees other people on small levels that are attainable by us, not don't give up your job and start a nonprofit. I'm not saying change your life to be a great human, but I'm saying if you live your life doing small things that are meaningful to other people, it actually could have a cascade of change on a community, society, and national, even global basis. And it's actually very interesting because most people, as you were saying, they think they have to do something grand, but it isn't that. It's the small acts that end up having the biggest life-changing results. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I write a uh, a monthly newsletter called One Small Thing, which is really about those micro-actions that end up being much more meaningful than some of the, the, the high standards we hold ourselves to. The book is The Parlay Effect, How Female Connection Can Change the World. If you'd like to get more information about Anne and her work, you can visit parlayhouse.com. And in all final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, I think we ended on the, the perfect note. Um, 
everybody who's listening, regardless of how crappy you might feel your life is right now, we all go through those phases where we just feel like we've got nothing left. But walking down the street and seeing someone, truly seeing someone, it might be a homeless person, it might be, you might have been looking at your phone instead of looking up. You know, when, when we do these small things like acknowledging or sharing or um, even, even confiding in a safe way, empowers the next person to feel capable of doing something similar. So I, I, would, I would love to leave listeners with the thought that you actually are much more powerful than you think through these really small actions. And there's no reason you can't start testing it out today. And thank you so much for joining us and for sharing ways that we can build deeper connections. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and learning about your work. I loved it, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. If you're a person living with any discomfort, have trouble sleeping, or the many other issues that come with getting older, I have great news for you. You have a chance to do something for yourself and at the same time help a U.S. veteran. My name is Janice Coviello. For years, I've been living with knee pain and discomfort every time I did something active, even walking. But after eight knee surgeries, countless bottles of Advil, and hyaluronic acid injections, I was desperate for relief. My doctors told me a knee replacement was my only option. To avoid another surgery, I found another solution, a transdermal gel known for reducing joint pain, faster recovery from injuries, enhancing strength, and promoting natural tissue repair. I started using the gel with amazing results. For the first time in 17 years, I could run without Advil. In addition, I sleep better and have so much more energy. But just don't take my word for it. Go to foreveryoung.org to learn how the purchase of this product can benefit you and also help a U.S. veteran. That's the number foreveryoung.org. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. She's here today to discuss managing uncertainty. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. Allison, everything that comes into our lives, whether it be good or bad, comes from the unknown future. So why do most of us see uncertainty as bad or even stressful? 
Well, one of the reasons that we think that uncertainty is always bad is because when good things come into our lives, we forget that they were once uncertain. I speak to so many people about uncertainty, and they always have this view that when uncertainty happens, I don't know what's going to happen next in my life. Things aren't working out. But they forget that there was a time before their husband or wife came into their life, their best friend came into their life, a new job or the getting into a great school. We forget because the good things that come into our lives, we get used to them. And then we expect them to be in our lives. And we forget that everything that comes into our lives was once unknown. But when something happens in our life that we don't like, it causes us so much discomfort and sometimes that discomfort doesn't go away. And so that represents to us uncertainty. And so that's why we think that all the things we don't know will be bad. But the biggest problem is that when we live with this fear of uncertainty, we live in fear. And when we live in fear, we look at the unknown and we kind of turn our backs on all that's possible in our lives. Because we think that if we risk getting a new job, we risk starting a new business, we risk going out with someone new because it has the unknown in it, we think that it can't possibly work out. And then we lose our courage to move forward with our lives. We lose our courage to make better decisions, to expand everything that's important to us, all the things that we love to do. So the most important thing that we can do in our lives is to establish a stronger relationship with uncertainty and realize that, yes, uncertainty could bring difficult moments, but it also could bring beautiful moments and joys and successes. And if we could see uncertainty differently, we're more likely to take chances in our lives. You know, Allison, something that you just said, all the things we don't know, we assume will be bad. And like you said, if we can learn how to make that shift and and to remember that a lot of the things that are wonderful were once unknown, then that would really help us to eliminate that fear that you talked about. In addition to that, what are some ways that we can learn to view uncertainty with less stress so that we can use it to our advantage? Well, because this is such a bad habit that many of us have, seeing uncertainty as bad, it is really great when you're feeling stressed and you're feeling worried to remind yourself of the joys that uncertainty brings. And, and a lot of people that I work with, they actually get a journal and they write about all the blessings in their lives. Like I said, whether it be someone you met, whether it be a new business or something your child achieved, write about it. And then remember a time when these things were not in your life. And then you could actually see, wow, I didn't know this was going to come into my life. And look, it was unexpected, but it was a blessing and it was something huge and something beautiful. And when we start to see this, we prove to ourselves that uncertainty, yes, it could have bad things, that we don't like, but it also could have good things too. And when you start to live like this and you start to journal, of course, you also start to embrace more gratitude. And the more grateful you are in your life, the more joy you'll have in your life, the more openings that you'll have in your life. There's also another thing too, is that it's not just that uncertainty brings good things too. Our relationship with uncertainty also shifts when we also recognize that we've had suffering in our lives and we've survived it. We've survived the pain. For some reason, when we think about the unknown, we think about it like we're not going to be able to live through something if it happens that we don't like or that creates something we didn't expect. We can get through it. And so when we journal and we see that we've had good things come into our lives and when we remember the things that we've survived, we start to build more foundation to face the unknown and recognize that the best thing in our lives we could do is to forge ahead, create good intentions, pursue our dreams, and know no matter what, we will figure it out. And again, I know I always talk about this idea of maybe, but when things happen that we don't like, we do have this idea of maybe that maybe whatever happening will get better. Maybe we can accept it and still be okay. And maybe there's something very important for us to feel or experience in this moment. So no matter whatever is happening in life, if you have breath, you have hope, and you have maybe. And uncertainty is where all the goodies lie, and it's where your life's going to change, and it's where all the things you want in your life is going to happen. But you have to find a way to deal with uncertainty and lessen the fear so you can open up to everything that you truly want in your life. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If our listeners would like to learn more about Allison or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. 
Less than 2% of America's population volunteers to defend our nation. Though we rarely see them, we live the benefits of these heroes' sacrifices and the freedom we know and the safety we feel. Each and every day, the Gary Sinise Foundation serves our nation by honoring our defenders, veterans, first responders, and their families. We do this by creating and supporting unique programs designed to entertain, educate, inspire, strengthen, and build communities. The Gary Sinise Foundation has grown because the need has never been greater. Together, we'll improve the lives of thousands of American heroes and their families day in, day out, all year long. While we can never do enough to show our gratitude to our nation's defenders, our veterans, our first responders, and the families who stand by them, we can always do a little more. Join us. Visit GarySiniseFoundation.org. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Today's guest, Spring Washam, believes that compassion is the fiercest and most effective response to suffering, and she teaches how to foster healing through mindfulness-based practices. Spring is a meditation teacher, author, and visionary, and she's the author of the book, A Fierce Heart, Finding Strength, Courage, and Wisdom in Any Moment. Welcome, Spring. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So, Spring... We all experience pain at one time or another, and often people will allow it to find them and to keep them stuck. But you believe that suffering can be our ally. Why is this your belief? Well, it's been my experience working with my own heart and mind and then seeing the experiences of others is that it's usually times of adversity or struggle that we grow in some way. We usually grow in the quality of compassion when we have to kind of deal with our own pain and and our own challenges. It's kind of like, you know, in our culture, don't we love the stories of people who rise out of difficult situations? You know, we love the underdog, don't we? The the, the, the stories of right. people like Maya Angelou and, mm-hmm. and the people who overcome all these difficulties. And for certain people who are more aware they can use their difficulties as doorways. Some people, it makes them bitter. Other people, it makes them open. So um, I'm of the school that we can use uh, difficult moments, challenging moments, emotional moments to to learn. I agree with you, Spring, because everything that I'm doing today is the result of going through extremely difficult times, a, a lot of loss. So I am a living example of what you're saying, is there something that happened to you in your life that helped you grow? Is there an experience that you can share with us? Well, I think it was, you know, um, in my book, I tell a little bit of an autobiographical story. It wasn't initially meant to be, but I just talk about, you know, being very young and living in a, you know, the East Long Beach Compton border. For those of you who are not from California, that's kind of a, a really rough neighborhood and seeing all the suffering around. And I, I grew up with kind of the classic stories, you know, single mom, father leaves, the struggle to survive. And it's a story that so many people can relate to. And it's there that I sort of learned, you know, through healing my own trauma later and getting on the path of meditation at an early age. I realized, wow, how strong I was and, and what I went through. And so the stories that I write about um, throughout the book are, are, are sort of key moments of growth, you know, being abused or these different things that happen to you in life. And I always say, you know, when I share stories, I'm not sharing anything new. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the stories of our, our people, aren't they? And some of the things that you just mentioned, I, I know someone's listening right now saying, yeah, you know, I can really relate to that. So what did you do? How did you overcome that? Yeah. So one of the big things that happened to me was that I became very interested in psychology because even at a young age, I was very aware of the suffering around me. Um, and I questioned it, like, why are people so hurt. Why is this happening? Why are people hurting others? So as a teenager, I got very interested in reading about psychology and 
And and then in my early 20s, I got very involved in meditation. And had I not met my first teacher and got involved in meditation, I don't know where I would be because I was in such a, a destructive place. And what learning about mindfulness did, and it doesn't matter really what religion or culture um, you, your background is, you can adopt just mindfulness meditation to any spiritual practice that you're already doing. But what I learned about was how to be aware and not reacting to everything that came in my mind, but learning how to observe. And through years of training, and I, when I got into meditation, I started going on very long meditation retreats. It became a passion of mine, understanding um, Buddhist philosophy, awareness, how to pay attention, how to be with difficult emotions, and learning about emotional intelligence, how to be mindful of my emotions rather than exploding like I used to. And so over time, I, I found that, uh, a deeper place in myself, a place where I could access more space, more freedom, freedom from the stories that I was telling, freedom from um, habitual reactivity. And I really um, believe that it was following meditation and that path that gave me some ability to have much more happiness and joy in my life. Spring, do you think the healing comes from the facing and the awareness of a challenge rather than the stuffing of it? Yes. And, you know, I talk about this a lot, you know, when I was creating our center in Oakland and I was working with communities always struggling. The idea that, you know, with emotions, we usually have three responses. We suppress, we act it out, which is not helpful, right? Or we, in some way, you know, kind of deny it or we don't know how to be with it in in any way. So mindfulness is really the way that we're learning. How do I open to this emotion? How do I be with it? And, And that's really alchemy, right? We're learning how to be with them and we're learning how to let them go. Oh, the third way also is we feed emotion. So we either suppress it, we feed it, or we act it out. But there's a fourth way, and that way is to become aware. And when we're being aware, that's really where the heart comes in, is that can I be with this rage? Can I be with this sadness, with care, with kindness? It hurts. Our emotions are painful when they're difficult. We love the happy ones. Those mm-hmm. are great. But, you know, but we're all scared of our emotions. If you ask people, what's the scariest thing for you? A difficult emotion right? Loneliness, sorrow, depression, rage, fear, and anxiety. And I'll tell you in my experience in the last few years is that fear and anxiety, more people have reached out to me experiencing levels of fear and anxiety they've never known, and they don't know how to be with them. And so teaching how to be with with a kind heart, this is where you can really grow. You really learn. Um, We're learning this new way of being with ourselves. And we have to learn how to do this. You know, this is our, this is the human condition. Thoughts and emotions make up our, our experience of reality. So learning how to open the heart, and this is where the compassion comes in. When I'm having a difficult moment, when I'm experiencing heartbreak, how am I responding to myself? Is there kindness toward it? Can I be in this moment? And can I be in this moment with a kind heart? Even though we don't want the experience. Who wants to wake up with heartbreak? No one, right? Right. We'll do anything to get out of it, but we can't run from it. So that's why I write A Fierce Heart, because there's something about the willingness to meet our experience, no matter if it's 10,000 joys, 10,000 sorrows, we meet it. And that becomes our practice. The book is A Fierce Heart, Finding Strength, Courage, and Wisdom in Any Moment. If you would like to get more information about Spring and her work, you can visit springwasham.com. Spring, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I think the takeaway for your listeners is to develop some kind of awareness-based practice. Find a time every day where you can be still, where you can press the pause button on the mind. Life is happening so quickly. Um, And to find moments of stillness every day where you can connect to your heart, where you can feel compassion, where you can remember your body. I feel that in these times we're living in, that is going to be essential, not only for our mind and our body, but for our heart. So taking care of our, our hearts, they're alive, they have wisdom to share, 
And when we get present and still, we can access that and access that love that's around us. Spring, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Deciding to purchase a home can be an incredibly important decision to make. It's also important to make sure you're as prepared as possible in order to make sure that the process goes as smoothly as possible for you. Hi, my name is Danielle Grossa from my team, GC Properties New Jersey within Keller Williams Realty, here to share with you the do's and don'ts when purchasing a home. First, meet with your realtor to discuss the home buying process and come up with a game plan that best suits you and your real estate goals. Your lender will take you through the mortgage process, and there are some major do's and don'ts to avoid setbacks during this time. Here are the top ones we suggest that you follow. Do contact your lender before changing or quitting your job, becoming self-employed, or any changes to your income. Save all your financial documents, make sure they're complete and keep all the pages. Continue to pay your bills on time and keep all accounts current, and make sure you have enough money for your down payment, closing costs, and loan reserves. Don't authorize any inquiries on your credit. Don't acquire any additional debts. Increase credit card balances or co-sign for others. Don't spend money I've set aside for closing or make any large purchases. Don't open any new accounts or close existing accounts. Refrain from moving your money around. And don't sign up with any credit repair or credit consolidation companies. Your realtor, as well as the other vendors you're working with, will be able to advise you on any questions you have during this process, and your lender will answer any questions about the financials. Follow these steps, and you'll be on your way to purchasing a home in no time. If you have any further questions, questions about real estate, whether that be buying, selling, or investing, please visit our website, gcpropertiesnj.com and click the contact button. I'd love to connect. Do you ever feel like there is no support and you're doing things all on your own? With hypnosis, you can bring in the feeling of being supported. Hi, I'm Mary Beth Battaglia, and I am a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner. Many times people feel disconnected and the weight of the world upon them. It's not a very comfortable place to live in. Through the mind and visualization, we can create support within us and all around us. Take a moment to take a nice deep breath in and slowly let it out. And imagine yourself in a forest sitting against a tall, strong tree. Allow yourself to feel the tree having your back. Feel the love from the tree. Feel the support and draw from its strength to help you feel good within and supported. Allow yourself to really embrace it and see yourself moving forward in your life with the support, with the strength from the tree. And just see yourself feeling complete and happy. I am Mary Beth Battaglia, and you can find out more about hypnosis at MetroHypnosisCenter.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, and that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. 
we believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today to talk about chronic kidney disease is Dr. Deborah Clegg, who is affiliated with Cedars-Sinai UCLA and American University. Dr. Clegg is the lead study investigator on plant-based diets in people with chronic kidney disease. Welcome, Dr. Clegg. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Doctor, with so many diets and eating plans that are available today, it's difficult to know which is the best to follow for maximum health. But for those with chronic kidney disease, making the right diet choice is critical. Before we talk about that, first tell us about chronic kidney disease. What is it? So chronic kidney disease is basically a, a gradual loss of kidney function. Your kidneys are responsible for maintaining normal balance within our body, and as the kidneys lose their function, toxins can stay in the body, and this is associated with some different types of disease risks. Who is most at risk? People who have high blood pressure or people who have diabetes or cardiovascular disease are individuals who those types of diseases can actually impact the kidneys and cause the kidney function to decrease. Doctor, what are the signs and symptoms? How does chronic kidney disease usually present? So chronic kidney disease often presents with some nausea or vomiting, maybe some changes in appetite, or maybe even changes in urination. Oftentimes, these are associated with kidneys who are no longer functioning properly by getting rid of some of the toxins that are so critical for the kidneys to normally function or release our body from. Why are potassium levels so critical for those who live with chronic kidney disease? What's interesting is that potassium is this incredible nutrient that we need to have in our diet. It comes from fruits and vegetables, but when potassium gets too high in our blood, it's a condition called hyperkalemia. And one of the interesting things is that the kidneys are responsible for maintaining potassium balance. And so one of the benefits of eating a fresh fruit and vegetable diet is that it's actually high in potassium. However, as your kidneys start to lose their function, avoiding potassium can be really important to avoid the uh, potential deleterious effects of hyperkalemia. Doctor, is there anything that we can do to prevent kidney disease? Well, some of the things that we can do is make sure that our blood pressure is well controlled, avoid some of the salt within our diet, so we're avoiding some of the, the hypertension, also maintaining our normal blood sugar by avoiding diabetes, and also keeping our overall cardiovascular uh, function in check. Also, eating a fresh fruit and vegetable diet actually can protect the kidneys. What types of tests should our doctor be doing to make sure that our kidneys are functioning properly? Your doctor will make sure that your kidneys are functioning properly by taking blood tests as well as monitoring your urine for different types of, of products. So keeping in close contact with your physician, if you happen to be an individual that has hypertension, diabetes, or cardiovascular disease, or even a family history of chronic kidney disease, it's really important to keep in touch with your physician so they can monitor your, potass- or that your, they can monitor your kidney function. If someone is diagnosed with a kidney issue, what would the normal treatment process be? What can that person expect? Typically what happens is your kidneys continue to to decrease their function or when you have CKD is oftentimes physicians will prescribe medications such as uh, blood pressure stabilizing medications, um, other types of medications to keep your blood sugar in check. Uh, Typically they, they typically focus on blood pressure as well as blood sugar maintenance and in preserving the remaining kidney function. Once we're diagnosed and we're put on medications, is there ever a chance that it can be reversed or are we on those meds for the rest of our life? Oftentimes you're on those medications for for some period of time, but it's not a life sentence because keeping preservation of your kidney function is really what's at stake here. So what we're hoping is that your newer products that are available on the market will actually preserve kidney function as well as allow people to eat a really healthy diet. What are some of those newer products? Right, so there's a couple of newer products that are actually uh, considered to be binders. What they do is they sort of take over the kidney function. So when you're eating a diet that's high in potassium, 
and the normal function of the kidney is to get rid of that potassium, but as the kidney continues to fail, therefore the kidney no longer has the ability to get rid of that potassium. But these newer binders actually bind to the dietary potassium and help you achieve normal potassium homeostasis within your body. It's a really amazing time for individuals with CKD to be able to potentially try these new products and see if they can liberalize their diet. And where can our listeners go to get more information? The Kidney Foundation has some wonderful information about kidney disease, and you can find that information at kidney.org. Thank you so much for joining us and for providing this important information. Thank you so much. The trick is to enjoy life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones ahead. I recently stumbled upon this quote by Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Marjorie's words got me to thinking about my life and how I've rushed most of it away, not being fully present or savoring the joy of any moment. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones. When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to grow up so I could drink or go to college or even get married. When my children were infants and toddlers, I muddled through most days in anticipation of the evening when they would go to sleep, and I thought about when they would be older and more self-sufficient. When I was the caregiver for my parents, I struggled through those years frazzled and exhausted. When I held job positions that were unfulfilling, I wished for the day that I would find employment that made me happy. Looking back, I can't recall one period in my life in which I wasn't looking ahead to something different or better. The sad thing is that it took tremendous loss to wake me up. The loss of my marriage, the deaths of my parents and siblings, my children growing up and moving on with their lives. Now, I strive to live in the present moment. All those quotes about leaving the past behind and not worrying about the future are so true. When you live in the past or try to anticipate the future, you miss the here and now. So what can you do? When you're dealing with a challenge, look for the positive and learn from the experience. If you're caring for a sick loved one, treasure every minute because I promise you one day you would give anything to nurse that person again. If your children are driving you crazy, remember that sooner than you'll like, they will be moving out and starting their own lives. All the seemingly insignificant moments, both good and bad, are, as Paul Anka said, the times of your life. Enjoy them all. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.